0: sit down and ask her her name when the drinks finally hit her she said i'm no quitter but i finally quit living on dreams i'm hungry for laughter and here ever after i'm after whatever the other life brings in the mirror i saw him and i closely watched him I how he looked out of place. The most haunting of greetings to every single one of you. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers Podcast part of your day. Those tunes you just heard are of course courtesy of the amazing Bobby Mackey, and as always I'm your host Tessa Morrow. And Holly Township, New Jersey, you will find the former Burlington County prison. Now today it's a museum, a place that you can visit and for a certain price can actually go and conduct your own private investigation. But back during its reign as a prison, it was home to some of the most dangerous men, women, and children out there. One of those to call the prison home temporarily was Albert DeSalvo. This was before he was known as the Boston Strangler, of course. It was a place where, in the prison yard, public executions were conducted and was the last prison in the state of New Jersey to actually have a public hanging. Burlington was considered to be one of the most notorious prisons in the Garden State. The prison before this was located several miles away from the courthouse, a place where the inmates would often have to be transferred for trials, court dates, and what have you. Now, depending on who was being transferred, this could be very dangerous, putting the innocent at risk. Now, something had to be done, and rather quickly. So eventually, the prison that we see today was built in 1810, welcoming its very first prisoners the following year in 1811. And the location couldn't be more convenient, as it is literally right next door to the courthouse. No vehicle needed, my friends. Now, Burlington County Prison was designed and constructed by Robert Mills, a man who would later go on to design and build the United States Patent Office, the Washington Monument in Baltimore, the National Monument in D.C., the United States Post Office, and the United States Treasury Building. That's pretty impressive, if you ask me. And he's also built several other prisons throughout the country. Now, from 1811 up to the time it closed in 1965, Burlington was home to people for every crime, really, you could think of. Horse theft, murder, larceny, forgery, theft, heists, bank robbery, arson, and everything in between. Now, at the time the prison closed its doors in 1965, it was actually the oldest operating prison in the United States. No easy feat. Until 1888, the jailer, his wife, and their children would live in the first floor of the prison. I don't know. You know how it's like, you know, when you live somewhere and you hate your neighbor? (laughs) Wow, that would suck. Okay, I have a bunch of convicts and villains and murderers as uh, next-door neighbors. Not very safe. The wife, she was actually part of a team as well, and she would be the supervisor of the women inmates and probably the children too, as the young ones would come here from time to time calling this place their home, including a 12-year-old girl who was here for arson. Yeah, no kidding. And it wasn't just unruly juveniles, but a few women inmates came in here pregnant and they had their babies here in prison. Now today, if this happens, I believe the baby is taken away, brought into a safer environment. I would imagine either with the family of the woman or foster care, don't know. But back then in Burlington County Prison, the newborn would actually stay and live with the mother. Talk about a first home. Wow. I can't imagine a baby living in prison. Yikes! Now eventually, much to their delight I am sure, a brick house was built adjacent to the prison, and they finally had a place to call home. For the 154 years Burlington was open, only 20 or so of those years did they actually have running water as it wasn't until sometime in the 1940s it was actually introduced to the prison. While having no running water may have been a pain in the ass, one thing I thought was pretty neat was the fact that this prison was the first to have heat. In fact, each cell had its own fireplace. The cell doors had small windows that opened so the guards could actually put firewood in through the window so the inmates could stay warm. To me, that's very impressive. Fireplaces and the jail cells seems like a rarity that you would find such a thing in a prison back then or today, really. Escapes. Burlington and Escapes? They kind of went hand in hand. At least 67 escapes occurred here. Some were by repeated offenders. The first documented escape that I could find happened eight years after opening in 1819. In 1865, one interesting escape takes place involving five inmates. They managed to punch a hole through the ceiling Their plan backfires, though, when one of the men proves to be a bit too big to fit through the man-made opening, and he calls for the guards and lets them know about the escapees. Two are captured and brought back, but guess what? The remaining two, they are never found, never brought back in, so who knows what the hell happened to them. At least it wasn't like Alcatraz where they had to swim back and it's like, did they drown? Did they die? Hypothermia? What happened? No, these dudes had a little easier escape way to go, you know, not navigating through frozen cold waters. So who knows? Now, sometime in the 1920s, a group of inmates successfully get through the prison's lowest level. They are getting close to the kitchen when suddenly they come face to face with a trustee. Each are surprised to see the other. Like a desperate animal backed into a corner, the inmates have gotten so far in their plan and so close to taste that sweet flavor of freedom. Oh, yeah, baby, just right. That they cannot stop now. The end result, they brutally murder the trustee. Come on. I saw another time that the warden was delivering some medication to an inmate. And as he opens the cell door, He was attacked and beat to death with an iron rod. I believe this inmate was also involved in the killing of his fellow inmate, the trustee in the kitchen. Now, not too long after this brutal incident, two prison guards were murdered, also beaten to death. The killers, they were deemed insane and sent to an asylum. In 1933, a mobster dude named Eddie Adamski who was doing time for trying to sell a ring he got from a heist, escapes by sawing off the bars of his cell window. He made a rope that it consisted of about, oh, I would say 20 feet made from his bedsheets. And here's one for the books. One death row inmate broke free as he was walking in his death march to the gallows. His Date with the hangman was quickly approaching, and it looks like he may be a (laughs) no-show. The condemned man successfully scales the prison wall and makes a run for it via Burlington and Mount Holly Road. His freedom lasted only a matter of seconds as a well-known detective catches up to the man and tackles him to the ground. He is brought back to the gallows where he finally meets his maker. A little about the man who tackled the death rower. Detective Ellis Parker, he was a celebrity in the law enforcement world. His stats were damned impressive, and he worked his ass off to get it that way. He solved 288 of 300 major crimes that he investigated. During his long career, he would send several people to prison, the gallows, and the electric chair. He was known as America's Sherlock Holmes, There were times that he would solve a case without even having to leave the comfort of his own desk. He may have been a celebrated New Jersey law enforcement officer for well over 40 years, but it was one case that would brutally take his reputation away, one that he worked so hard for, and he would end up dying behind bars. The woman walks into the nursery and up to the crib and she smiles as she looks down and in a fraction of a second, that smile is replaced with pure terror. Where's Charles? She runs to the bathroom and knocks on the door. And did you bring Charles in there with you? The answer sends chills down the woman's spine. No, no, I have not. Where is he? She searches the house, but the 20-month-old child is nowhere to be found. The man who solved crimes like no other was asked personally from the governor of New Jersey to investigate the infamous Lindbergh kidnapping case. He should have said no, but who could blame him? He wanted to find the person or people responsible for the kidnap and possible murder of this ever-so-sweet child who was not even two years old yet. It became an obsession. And again, who could blame him? One day, a man that Ellis has known for quite some time, several years really, walks into the detective's office. Enter Paul Wendell. Ooh, Paul. He tells Parker that he has inside information regarding the location of the Lindbergh child. Paul says he will only give this information if he's compensated a ridiculous large sum of money. Give me my money. Things begin to happen that make the seasoned Detective Parker very suspicious of Paul Wendell. After discussing things with Governor Hoffman. Governor Hoffman, I know we have Bruno Hoffman for this, but something just doesn't smell right. In my gut, I know Paul is involved. I trust you, Detective Parker. That's why I got you on the case. I'll make some calls and we will delay Bruno's execution. What happened? The grand jury drops all charges against the man who knew way too much about the kidnapping, Paul Wendell, and on April 3rd, 1936, Bruno Richard Hotman was strapped to the electric chair, and he was executed. Now, since day one, Bruno, he claimed his innocence. Was he? Who the hell knows? If he was involved, he did not act alone, that's for sure. In their heart of hearts, Ellis and his son, Junior, they knew... They knew that Paul Wendell was definitely involved. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. No doubt. What happens next will seal their fates. They kidnap Wendell. During this time, Wendell writes a 25-page confession, giving more details. Only details someone involved would know. He talks about the disposing of the body and so much more. He also shares that his wife and his own children were also part of the kidnapping, or at least had knowledge of it. Now, Ellis Parker Jr., he's paroled in October of 1941 after spending two years in confinement. He was granted full pardon by President Harry Truman. His father, the once legendary detective, well, he was not so lucky. While well, in the penitentiary, he became ill and he died behind bars. Now, I have mentioned some of the deaths that occurred here. Now, one day, people woke up to see this in their local paper. Suicide in jail. On Monday, Henry Prickett, a young man about 23 years of age, was arrested for drunkenness and committed to Mount Holly Jail. When the turnkey went to his cell on Tuesday morning, he found him dead, and the impression was that he committed suicide by taking a dose of arsenic. And then, of course, we have the executions. One man to be executed was Joel Clow. In 1831, he was living in a boarding house in Bordentown, New Jersey. He meets a young lady who happens to be the landlady's daughter, Mary Hamilton, who had sadly just become recently widowed. He became obsessed with Mary, and in his mind, he considered her his property. He fabricated this relationship that she loved him, and this was all news to the widow who had been seeing someone else. When he finds out about this, he loses it. In his statement to law enforcement, he claimed that he was in his room, he was about to commit suicide, and while he was in the middle of the act, the door suddenly opens up. Mary, she walks in, and when she sees what he's up to, she, like many people, would walk up to him and try to stop him. She and grabs his shoulder, and, you know, this is just to stop him. He pulls out a long-bladed dagger and plunges it into her chest. He stabs her 11 times. He shows no remorse and he never denies the murder. He says that he loved her so much and he was so absolutely devastated about her rejecting him that he was driven insane and committed the heinous act. Mary, she had a young daughter, and once she was murdered, that sweet child became an orphan. People were shocked when this happened. Before the murder, he was considered a down-to-earth guy, a nice person, mild-mannered, quiet, and well-liked. Well, liked or not, it only took the jury two hours of deliberation. The verdict? Guilty. His date with death was scheduled and in the books. On the 26th day of July in 1833, Joel Clow would be executed. While he was awaiting execution, he was originally put in a room on the third floor of the prison. Now, someone went to go in and check on him. I don't know if it was just to check on him or give him food or whatever. And they noticed that the death row inmate had been cutting through the wall in an attempt to escape. And again, as we know, it's not hard to escape in Burlington. He is moved into the dreaded dungeon. And after spending two weeks down there, he promises to behave and says that it's not fair for the people who come in to visit him that they have to deal with the uncomfortableness and the wetness and the dampness and... Coldness of the dungeon. Amazingly enough, the sheriff actually agrees with him and brings him back to the original room where, uh, hello, he recently tried to escape. Fast forward a short time later, a few days before his execution date, he manages to escape. Shocker. (laughs) Later on that same day, he's actually found a few miles away near the Delaware River. And let's just say that when he came back, the dungeon was awaiting for him. Now, on July 26th, he finds himself on a scaffold, and at 2 p.m., he is launched into eternity. And about 30 minutes later, his body is let down, laid into a simple pine coffin, and is buried on the prison grounds. A huge tree marks his final resting place. Now, you know, it's rare that a woman is executed. It's still not very common. I believe since 1976, there's only been 17 women who've been executed. The most recent, January 13th of last year, Lisa Marie Montgomery. We have other ladies like Eileen Oranos, Judy Buenano, Betty Lou Beats, Carla Faye Tucker. Here comes Elizabeth Freeman. Now, she gets a final date with the noose when she decided it was okay to slit her unsuspecting husband's throat. Now, usually, you know, justice is served rather swiftly, oftentimes within two months of the crime. And this is back then, obviously. Wesley Warner, however, he appeals his case, which spared his life for two whole years, but ultimately ended up on the gallows. Now, back then, two years was a long time to wait to be executed. Not now, where murderers live on death row for decades and often usually die of natural causes, something their victims were robbed of doing. The final executions to take place here were back in 1906, the double-hanging executions of Mr. George Small and Mr. Rufus Johnson. They raped and strangled a woman named Florence Allison in a barn where she had been employed. Not only was she strangled, but she was beaten over the head with a club. The men were arrested by Detective Ellis Parker, who actually saves them from an angry lynch mob. Rufus Johnson was quoted saying about the detective, I hold no malice to you, Mr. Parker. He was very grateful for not being lynched that day. Now, the two men, they are eventually executed on March 24th, 1906. Part of the rope is actually still hanging in the prison today. You can still see that to this day. So kind of neat. So if you are in the Mount Holly area or just in New Jersey in general and you want to do some severe investigating, you can do so. With the suicides, murders, executions, it's no shocker, folks, that this location is considered to be extremely haunted. In fact, it's one of the top haunted locations in New Jersey. Throughout the years, visitors have gotten evidence when it comes to the paranormal via photo, video, audio, and what have you. Both employees and visitors have experienced hearing unexplained sounds, getting chills, and feeling cold spots. Phantom smells, they happen here too. At times, people will smell a very strong smell of cigarette when no one else is around. And I believe there's no smoking there, so yeah. And seeing apparitions is the norm. One of those apparitions is believed to be the condemned prisoner, death row inmate, Joelle Clow. Another apparition seen around the prison is a very tall man in a full uniform, possibly a guard, I would imagine. Witnesses often place him in the basement. The shower area is home to yet another apparition. It's said that the third floor is a hot spot for activity as well. And yet another location that's active, and no shocker here, is the gallows. Many who've come here feel quite an unexplained, strange sense of electricity in the air. They also get chills. And believe me, they're multiplying. During the time when... The prison was being renovated. Workers would oftentimes report their tools, hey, they're suddenly going missing. And usually they would find them in a completely different part of the prison where they had not been. They also share that they would hear disembodied voices traveling throughout the hallway. Just a little eerie when you're trying to get a job done and you're not into the paranormal. And speaking of tools, there have been many a times when paranormal teams would be here investigating and their tools would suddenly be drained of all its energy. Fresh batteries suddenly dying. The life quickly being drained away before your very eyes. Been there. Very annoying when that happens. That's why I have learned to just bring backup on every single battery that you need. Backup on every battery to every single investigation. Now, one person came here on the anniversary of Joel Clow's execution and put a digital recorder under the tree where his body now lies. All was quiet for a few moments, then a click, then it turned off. This happened a few times. And I must say, Out of all the tools I have, never had that happen to me, my recorder malfunctioning on me. I could only imagine how very annoying that would be, because to me, that's the life of the investigation. That's what's capturing every single voice and everything. Now, speaking of recorders, one man was recording, and he asked, where are you? The response was epically eerie, right behind you. Gotta love those EVPs. That one kind of reminds me of when I got that eerie one at Waverly Hills. Now, one past visitor said that as soon as they stepped foot onto the prison grounds, the air got extremely heavy. This person believes they spoke to a spirit, conversing with them and getting yes or no answers via tapping sounds for a good half hour. One team came and investigated here one night. One of the people was a medium and as she walked up the gallows steps, she suddenly freezes and she's unable to go further as if some invisible force would not let her pass by. She felt like she literally hit a wall and suddenly felt very ill. She shares that she saw two men and in her words she said this, They were ragged looking, clothes in tatters, sweat and tears running down their faces, Far-awake, glassy look in their eyes. One man's lips were moving. And she says it looked like the man was repeatedly saying no. No, 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 no. Like he knows what's about to happen and he just like can't comprehend that he is about to die. This is possibly residual haunting. You know, these two men, they're relieving their execution. And I believe these men are most likely the two that were executed together. Would make sense, right? George and Rufus for the murder of the lady. And I saw online that on Fridays and Saturdays, you can have the place to yourself from 7 p.m. to midnight. For 10 or less people, the price, I believe, is $350. For 11 to 20 people, it's $700. Those are the prices I found. Unsure if that's still accurate or not. You might want to check it out before you commit. Now, in my experience, I have to say that every single jail, prison, asylum, sanitarium that I've been to, it always—I I always feel the sadness, the despair, the desperation. I feel death. It just—it's one of those places that not many good things happened, you know, and so. It doesn't surprise, especially, you know, places where people were executed. And so, yeah, I'll have to put Burlington County Prison on my old paranormal bucket list as it continues to grow, 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 grow. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others. They are equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet. No need to cry. You can binge listen right now by hitting up any of those awesome Phenomenal podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Podcast Republic, Deezer, Spotify. Wherever you may roam to listen to your other phenomenal podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Brothers podcasts lurking in the background. This week's special city shout outs go to Oakland, California, Alhambra, Spain, Almas, Texas, Spotsylvania Courthouse, Virginia, and Toronto, Canada. Thank you so much for stopping by. It's awesomely appreciated. As always, have an idea for a future episode. You can find me on the Facebook Paranormal Prowlers podcast page, or you can always email me at paraprowl at gmail.com. See you next week.